Yo, what's up, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And we're doing winners and losers of the 2023 free agency, and we're going to hop right into it, because me and Ben have some differentiating opinions on the Orlando Magic's offseason. I think they're a big, fat fucking loser. Um, I hate their offseason. I dislike their draft more than any other team in the league, and I think their free agency period was disgusting also. Let me just get into my opinion on their signings quickly. And then Ben, you can hit me with your retort because I think you're a little bit more positive about them than I am. So let's start with their draft. Oh, I know we already did the draft. Not a big fan of the Anthony Black thing. I like Anthony Black. I just think it's the worst possible fit for him. And I think Jet Howard's a bum. Now, if we go to free agency, for me, I was expecting the Orlando Magic to push their team forward to become a relatively successful playoff player playoff team right or play in team a team that has to be taken seriously when it comes to the end of the regular season what they did instead was give 37 year old joe ingles a contract um you did mention to me that there's an option that they can get out of it after one year and they re-signed mo wagner who is an absolute bum barely a basketball player hired hitman um, and they missed out on Fred Van Fleet after his name being attached to the Magic for months, who I thought was an awesome fit for them as they haven't been able to find a spacing point guard in basically their franchise's history. I mean, Jameer Nelson was the last dude on the Magic at the point guard position that could shoot. So all in all, I think they have Paolo and Franz, who are both stars to be, and they didn't advance their timeline at all. They just said, let's take another year of being just an okay team, and hopefully Paolo can turn into an all-NBA guy and get us to the postseason by himself, or Franz can take another leap and get us there. When they had money to spend, they spent it on dudes that I don't think deserve it. I thought it was a trash offseason. Yeah, so I don't think it's – I'm certainly a lot less – bull or a lot more bullish on this Magic team and on the direction that they've made. I think they've got – five of their top 10 guys in terms of minutes played last year, maybe six, 25 years old or younger. So this is a team full of youth. And what they did was they drafted another young guy in Anthony Black and another young guy in Jet Howard, which screams to me, we are not trying to be a top six seed next year. We're not trying to be one of the best. Um, I think the talent on this team is enough to make a play-in team regardless. And I am very happy with the fact that they did not give Fred Van Fleet way too much money. Um, I think that contract is going to be a little ridiculous very, very soon. But the Anthony Black fit, I think putting a guy like, I mean, we talked about this when we did the draft review, but Anthony Black is the kind of guy who plays better and makes his team better, the better his teammates are, the better the cast is around him. Paolo and Franz are awesome, awesome players, and Anthony Black fits next to awesome players really well. I don't know how I feel about Jet Howard. I think if he was taken at 16, we, me and you wouldn't have a single negative thing to say about him. Um, all he showed is the ability to be a really interesting off-ball offensive weapon. I don't know if that becomes anything in the NBA. Um, but to have Joe Ingles, to have a guy who can shoot above 40% from three reliably game after game, if that's all they need him to do. He's obviously going to be able to do that effectively. These aren't moves. You're right. This isn't a move that propels the Magic into some really deep, strong playoff team. But I don't think they needed to be that this year. They obviously, they were above 50% in the last 40 games of last season. So they proved that they can win games with the core that they have. I think they added little wrinkles. But I think you're correct in saying that they didn't make any big swings. Which I think is just a massive mistake on how I view this team. I think Paolo could be an all-star player level as soon as next year. And I think the same thing of Franz. Me and you just had a conversation before the podcast started. I deemed Franz a star to be. And you kind of hushed that a little bit, comparing him to Cole Anthony. Do you want to go in on that for a little bit and just explain to the listeners what you meant? Him and Cole Anthony are not the same players. And I wasn't saying they're the same. No, players. no, no. Just like the efficiency, the splits, just you do your little thing on that. Yeah. I mean, one guy put up 13 points on 45, 36 splits. The other guy put up 19 points on 48, 36 splits. Um, and one guy gets a tremendous amount of hype. I think Franz is obviously the better player. Um, Cole Anthony showed some fun moments, but whatever. We don't have to talk about him. But Franz, to me, is closer to a guy like, I don't know, Kyle Kuzma. Not in the play style, but in the sense that he's a really, really, really good role player. I wouldn't call him a star, but I would call him a guy that you really, really want on your team. 
Paolo is absolutely making all-star games. I don't see Franz making all-star games, at least in the next two, three years. And I would say Franz is closer to Chris Middleton, Laurie Markkinen, where these are guys that can go into all-star games. Not They're going to be very good players on very good teams. That's what I see from Franz. And I just think with how complete his game is, you feel comfortable with him touching the ball in any aspect. Um, the only shot he was inefficient at was like pull-up threes. He couldn't create pull-up threes for himself. Everything else is a good look for Franz Wagner. And on that end, if you're a guy who's very effective at catch-and-shoot threes, adding Anthony Black was a great move because he's going to help you set up a lot more catch-and-shoot threes. Sure. So my my feeling on this is, all right, you have a guy that I think could be an all-star next year in Franz. You have another guy that I think could be an, an all-star next year in Paolo. Why wait? Why are we doing this thing where it's like, oh, we'll take it slow. Let's let them grow. Like Fred Van Vliet on the market, you give him, ex- let's say they give him the exact same contract the Rockets gave him. That contract is done by the time you have to extend Paulo and Franz. And by the end of that contract, Fred's probably washed, right? So in that three-year span, Franz adds a spacer at the point guard position, a table setter, an adult, a veteran. You get into the playoffs. These two young guys get three years of postseason experience. How is that a negative in any sense of the word when you're spending money on guys like Joe fucking Ingles, who's practically in the NBA retirement home, and Mo Wagner, who's barely a basketball player? I I cannot figure out what the plan is other than we're just going to trust Paulo to become an all-NBA guy, and then he'll do all the hard work for us in making us a playoff team. They're going to be a playoff team next year anyways. Whether or not they sign Fred Van Fleet, they're going to make the play-in this season regardless. They're going to make the play-in next season regardless. Adding Fred Van Fleet would not have pushed them into a top-six seed. It wouldn't have pushed them out of the play-in. I don't know. I don't know. I I think it just gives them a much better chance at that. Like, when we start talking about other teams, like, are the Knicks going to repeat and be really good? Maybe. Or do we see just Julius Randle break down from playing 81 games last year and just not, you know, there's ways that this doesn't become like, all right, the top seeds, like the top six seeds in the East are already set. Let's just move on to the postseason. Like there's room, there's room to wiggle. Like Atlanta, we, I, I'm high on Atlanta, but I'm not sure about Atlanta. Trey Young could request a trade by the trade deadline. I have no idea. So I think they still have room to wiggle. Uh, Markel Fultz and Gary Harris, this is the last deal. These are two expiring contracts that add up to $30 million. So if you feel like, you know, both of those guys don't have to stick around for your future. If you feel like you could get a guy who somebody's paying $25, $26 million a year and you could add him to your team, you've got the assets to do that. You've got the picks to go do that. You've got a whole bunch of young players you could move. Um, I think they looked at the board and said, Fran Van Fleet's probably not worth it. He's the only guy on the board who we really, who fits this team, who we would throw a bag at. But if he's going to shoot under 40% from the field year after year, maybe he's not worth it. But even if we go like, all right, let's not pay Fred VanVleet $40 million a year. Let's find a more cost-effective option. This is my point on why the offseason was ass. Go offer Austin Reeves $25 million. Okay, the Lakers match it. He stays. Next option. Let's go the other guy the Lakers got, Gabe Vincent. He can shoot threes. He had an awesome postseason run for $11 million a year. Yeah, that sounds like a decent deal to me. Dennis Schroeder, he can't shoot, but he's still a decent option. Like, I just, Javon Carter. There you go. There's like, there's so many options for them to just do something. And they were like, no, we're good exactly how we are. There's nothing wrong with our team. Let's get a 40-year-old three-point shooter that can't move laterally for 22 million fucking dollars. I mean, the Uh, thing with that is we don't know what guys they tried to get and had no absolute, zero interest playing for Orlando. Like Gabe Vincent, if you offer him 11 million to play for the Lakers or 11 million to play for the Magic, he's going to go fucking play with LeBron James. But that's what I'm saying. If you offer him 16 million, he chooses the Magic every single day. Same thing with Seth Curry. Dallas gets him for under $10 million a year. The Magic, give him 18 million. It's, you know what I mean? You have the money. You're just, you're just not doing anything with it. Um, I just think this is like, a, I, I, just, I just think they had the worst offseason of any team in the league. I, I, I don't know why they're not taking advantage of getting a bona fide 25 point per game scorer in Palo and a really fucking perfect, 
you know, coexisting star in Franz. I'm super disappointed in how this team's operated this entire summer. And the only thing that's going to ease that worry is actually seeing it all work in the regular season. We can't do anything except wait for the regular season and see how it all plays out. And that's a really good point because I'm still high on the Orlando Magic because I trust Paolo and Franz so much. I just think there was a ceiling that they could have hit that they opted out in hitting. They were just like, nah, we'll hit it later. I think they could have been awesome as soon as next year. I think they're going to be good next year, which is fine. I'm sure Orlando fans are still going to be happy watching Paolo dominate the league, but I don't know. Like, I really think they could have been better. I, I'm I'm really disappointed in how that front office operated the entire summer. I definitely don't feel the same way, but let's move on to a team that we're both high on, a team that we're both happy with the decisions they made in this offseason, the Dallas Mavericks. Mm. They added a tremendous amount of depth, and they got rid of an awful contract in Davis Bertans. They got to get their guy in the draft in Derek Lively. They added Rashawn Holmes. They added Grant Williams. They tried to get Matisse Thibel, and I think it's fine that they didn't end up with him. But the Mavs now have a legitimate nine-man roster. Yeah, out of nowhere, too. Uh, This was a team I was really nervous about heading into next year. Obviously, Kyrie, they re-signed him. We can debate on whether that's a good thing for them or a bad thing for them. They had to do it. Exactly. As a talent play and as a player that they gave up assets for, you need to bring him back, regardless of how you feel of him as a person. Um, Kyrie and Luka alone, that's 60 points a game. Now it's how do we have guys around them that do the dirty work? that grab the extra rebounds, that defend till the last second of a shot clock. And they had an awesome move, especially yesterday, trading in a sign and trade for Grant Williams. Um, I am a massive fan of Grant Williams. As people who are in Boston, we see what he can bring to a team. He had an unbelievable game seven against Milwaukee two years ago. Um, You know, he tried his ass off. He feels like a guy who can bring heart and defensive effort. And in today's NBA, he can guard up a position. Um, He can guard threes and fours effectively. And sometimes small ball fives, just because of how stocky he is. I just think he's an awesome fit next to Kyrie and Luka. And they have guys like Josh Green. They just got Omax um, in the draft. Like they're building a little core here that I actually respect. I'm very happy with how they're moving this offseason. Yeah, man. The Seth Curry signing for $9 million for two years, that is golden. Dwight Powell, three years, $4 million a year. That's a mm. really nice deal for them. They have legitimate depth at all positions now. I think one thing that's going to be hilarious as a non-basketball uh, thing with this team is the amount of whining that Luca and Kyrie and Grant Williams as a trio are going to be doing Um, because Grant Williams, you don't see him. You didn't see him play tremendous amount of minutes in the Celtics last year. Every time he was on the floor, that man was whining about something. Um, Luca does it more than anybody else in the league. There's going to be parts of this team that are not likable, but in terms of actual legitimate basketball talent, they went out and got better in a big way. Yeah, they have to be respected next year. Um, And I think when we talk about the Western Conference and teams that were kind of in the middle or below the middle, in terms of who got better, Dallas is clearly that option. We love OKC. They're an exciting young team. They get Chet coming back. But, you know, the Mavs made real moves with vet players coming into their building to help them win right now. And from what they did, I think it's going to really help. Um, Rashawn Holmes... Rashawn Holmes isn't the best defensive big man, but guess what? Like he can score and he can be a body and he can grab rebounds and anything's better than what Christian Wood did for them last year, where he refused to defend. He refused to rebound. He was just there to shoot shots and have fun. They they're a more serious team. And I think they're going to be, they're going to be an interesting watch because I do think the whining is going to be insufferable, but I think the style of basketball they're going to play is actually going to be pretty fun. Christian Wood still hasn't been signed to a team. That matters, folks. I think that, that says a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Dallas Mavericks, I also love, just as an aside, I don't know if we'll ever see him, but Dante Exum is back in the NBA and he's playing for the Mavs. Yeah. That man's got more bounce than anybody. Every time you watch him not in the NBA, he's doing crazy shit. Um, I want to see him succeed, but I don't know what this means for the Mavs as a team, like seed-wise. It's a tough time to be in the West right now. I yeah. can't see... You know, there's six teams that seem like they're going to be top four seeds, Mm -hmm. maybe even more. Um, I think this is going to be an absolute bloodbath in the regular season in the West. 
Yeah, if we just take a look at the West and teams that the Mavericks could contend with in getting playoff spots, Memphis, they obviously don't have jaw for 25 games. How much does that affect them? You have a team like Sacramento who had an awesome year last year, but they don't have the same top-end talent as Dallas. The Clippers, Kawhi and Paul George are always hurt. They're going to miss games. Uh, the Lakers, you know, I love the Lakers, but in terms of the regular season, like LeBron and AD are going to miss games. They just are. That's how that, that it's how that works. Minnesota, I don't know. Is that experiment going to work? I believe it. I Probably believe not. in it, but yeah, you know, <laughs> New Orleans, Zion, right? So there is a way for the Mavericks to really kind of force themselves into this playoff picture. I'm a big, big fan of what they did. And I think from where they were getting off of Davis Burton's contract and then using that money effectively to round out the roster, I think they did about as good as you could possibly could in their situation. I think you're right, honestly. And the more I look at the West, when I'm looking at a team like OKC, they're on the come up, but there's no room. There is absolutely no room for them to be a top eight seed in this Western conference right now. If they were in the East, if they were in the Orlando Magic's position, they would be so much higher as a seed. Um, I, I think Dallas is really setting themselves up well to be a top six seed, but... What does it all take? Does Kyrie? It takes Kyrie playing sixty games. It takes Luca. You know, Luca's going to stay healthy and do his thing. Yeah. Um, I really feel like if Kyrie stays healthy, this is a team that's going to be top six, top seven seed. I agree with you, and this is also one of those teams, uh, kind of like the Warriors last year, where their seeding doesn't matter when they get into the postseason because right. they have Luka Doncic. People like I don't know if people remember. This is one of the best playoff players we've ever seen in mm-hmm. NBA history. Um, And you're also adding Kyrie next to him in those situations. And Kyrie, to be fair, has struggled in the last few postseasons he's been in. But if you have a guy like Luka, who's in the prime of his career, just dominating night in, night out, Kyrie as the second option is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'm just I'm bullish on the Mavericks next year. I think they did a very, very, very good job. Yeah, I want to talk about two teams, two top Western teams that have both added a really good amount of depth, the Phoenix Suns and the Lakers. Uh, The Phoenix Suns have added Keita Bates, Diop, Drew Eubanks, Yuta Watanabe, Eric Gordon, and that might be the list, Tremezi Metu. And those are all legitimate role players. Three of those guys seriously helped them with their spacing. Utah, we saw what he was able to do as a three-point shooter for Brooklyn. And they got them all for pennies. They didn't pay a single one of those dudes more than $5 a year. Right. And I think the interesting thing with Phoenix that I'm very passionate about is usually these teams that are super, super top heavy, right? These guys are paying like $160 million to four players with Aiton, Beal, Booker, and Durant. A lot of these teams get rounded out with bums, with like 36 and above year old players who are trying to cling on to a generational talent to win rings, right? We see that all throughout NBA history. Yep. These guys are mostly young. Like Eric Gordon, he's over the hill, but he's still really effective and he's still a good player. Yuta Watanabe, Keita Bates-Diop, Chemezi Metu, like these guys aren't old. They're like 26, 27, 28. They're in kind of their primes. These guys are going to have legs in postseason series. These guys aren't going to flame out if a series goes seven games long. I'm very high on what they did, especially the Eric Gordon thing. When I saw that number for him, my mouth opened like my jaw dropped I couldn't believe they got him for that cheap as a guy that can run offense defend the wing positions and hit threes from anywhere on the court I was shocked they got him for that number yeah man he wanted to play for the Suns he said himself there were other teams that were going to give me more money but I Mm -hmm. wanted to come here and win um it's hilarious to me this is so a tangent but it's hilarious to me that the Denver Nuggets the team that won the championship cannot recruit players in this way like all of these guys want to go to some other team except the team that is obviously obviously the dynasty to beat yeah. um, for the upcoming future. But Eric Gordon, what an addition. Yuta Watanabe, amazing addition. I'm happy for the legs this gives KD in the regular season. Because um, in the playoffs, the top four guys are playing 38 minutes a game. But we need Kevin Durant to not be playing 36, 37 minutes during the regular season because we yeah. need him to stay healthy. Yeah, and KD and Booker were playing like 45 minutes a night in the postseason. Like, I've never seen anything like that where just night in, night out. And I think we saw with KD, like, you know, yes, Aaron Gordon was busting his ass to stay with KD, but KD was unusually inefficient. 
And I think that was a, like a symptom of heavy, heavy minutes, plus great defense from Aaron Gordon. You know, does he end up a little bit more efficient with more points per game if he has better legs going up against Aaron Gordon? I don't know. But you mentioned the Yuta Watanabe thing. Like, he is the perfect player on this team. He's totally cool sitting in a corner, banging threes all game long. But he's also like a dive on the floor guy. He's also a guy who will try his ass off to defend the best player on the opposite team. It doesn't mean he's always going to succeed, but you know he's giving 100% effort every single night. And for a team that, quite honestly, like a lot of these stars aren't going to want to put in 100% every single night, they got guys that surround them that are okay with doing that, like Keita Bates, Diop, and Yuta Watanabe and Chimezi Metu. Those guys will give their everything every single night. Yuta Watanabe is getting $2.3 million next year. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. It's it's unbelievable what they've been able to do. I'm really happy with them. And I'm also really happy if we want to pivot to the Lakers. Austin Reeves staying on this team for $56 million a year over four years is unbelievable. Dylan Brooks made $24 million more than Reeves in free agency this year. How about that? They yeah. keep D'Lo for a good deal. They keep Rui for a good deal. Bringing in Gabe Vincent. Adding guys who have some promise in Cam Reddish, Jackson Hayes, Torian Prince. This was perfect. Picture perfect. Yeah. In terms of Austin Reeves, like, I think it's funny. If you have the Fred Van Vliet versus Austin Reeves conversation right now, how much better is Fred Van Vliet than Austin Reeves? Is he better than Austin Reeves, right? To get him at a third of the price, basically, insane. I think... Lakers fans should literally throw a parade for this re-signing. I think this is by far probably the best contract of the entire offseason. To get a guy that was a third best player on a Western Conference Finals team for pennies in today's NBA. Literal penny. I couldn't believe it. Um, You mentioned Rui coming back, D'Lo coming back. I'm not super high on those guys, but they retained their assets that worked for them, right? D'Lo was really good for them in the regular season. Rui was really good for them in the postseason. And then they had the Flyers, right? Jackson Hayes as one youth to the team and two, like a pop of athleticism that they just don't really have. Mm -hmm. Cam Reddish, we'll see. Wing depth is fine with me, though. And Torian Prince, same thing. Wing depth, right? LeBron is almost 40 years old, people. He's going to miss games. They need to have a competent wing rotation if he goes down. I think with Torian Prince and Cam Reddish and Rui Hachimura, it's more respectable. Yes, Cam Reddish and Torian Prince are both mid, but both of them have a chance to carve out some legitimate role for themselves on this team. I think playing with LeBron is always good for players. You always see the best out of guys. Cam mm-hmm. Reddish is a guy I have faith in. Um, I don't know if I have yeah. reason to from what we've seen from him in the NBA, but there's always moments. He's long, he's athletic. There's moments yeah. from him that I really feel like, how is this guy not getting 18, 20 minutes a game? He's one of those weird guys where the highlights make him look really, really good. But if you watch a game of his, you're like, oh boy. Yeah. Um, he's one of those dudes. And it's, you know, it's fine. And you're right. He's playing with the player that is notorious for getting guys paid, right? He's on a one-year deal with LeBron James, who can be argued as the greatest player of all time. I think that's a really good move from Reddish's side, right? To take a really low contract to join a guy like that for one year to kind of bet on yourself and get value out of it. We saw Malik Monk do it and that worked out great for him. We saw it with Dennis Schroeder. Um, There are guys that join LeBron for one year and make a ton of money doing so. So I was a fan and Torian Prince is a guy too, really quickly, weirdly streaky from three, which I think the Lakers kind of need just a guy who can hit a lot of threes in a game. And he just tries his ass off. Like that mentality on teams that are trying to win championships works every single time. I could see Lakers fans really kind of liking Torian Prince, especially when he's replacing Troy Brown Jr., who did fucking nothing for that team. Um, I think they did a real, and we didn't even mention Gabe Vincent. We didn't even mention him. Three years, 33 million. That's pennies in today's NBA. Um, He's going to be... I don't know. He might even take D'Lo's starting place in the lineup. How badly D'Lo played in the postseason last year has got to be sticking in the minds of Darvin Ham um, and that coaching staff. But we're going to see a lot of positional flexibility at the guard position next year for the Lakers with Reeves, D'Lo, and Gabe Vincent. Yeah, man. I'm so interested to see Gabe Vincent on a new team. 
in his playoff series in that last year, he scored more points in every single series than he's ever scored in a single regular season. He averaged nine points a game in the regular season, but he was putting up 13 to 15 in the playoffs. I don't know what he looks like without Eric Spolster and Jimmy Butler. Is this going to be an excellent deal? Is this going to be a bum who Jimmy helped get paid? We'll find out. Um, I think Gabe Vincent plays very, very hard. And, you know, going from great situation with Eric Spolstra to great situation with LeBron James is going to be beneficial for him. But him and Max Struess, man, I'm I'm really interested, like, how much of it was Eric Spolstra? Yeah, we'll get to the Cavs in a second, um, for sure. But, yeah, I think the Lakers are definitely a top three winner out of this offseason. They were incredible. Um, they did kind of overpay Rui and D'Lo, in my opinion. I do want to get that out there quickly. I think, you know, we're kind of paying them a lot of money off a of reputation, right? Like Rui had one good off season or postseason, and we're paying him off of that. And D'Lo, like we're paying him off of him being a second overall pick still. Like he does not deserve $18 million a year, but the regular season still matters. And that's why I like those signings. Uh, I just wanted to throw that out there quickly. Yeah. I mean, you know, Rui, does he deserve 17 million Absolutely a year? Absolutely not. Maybe not. You no, definitely through. not. I mean, does Max Struess deserve $64 million a year? For his skill set, I'm more okay with it than Rui getting 17. Right. And that's, you know, no, he doesn't deserve that much money a year. But it's fine um, because you need to bring these guys onto your team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's move on to a loser. And I think both of us really agree with this. uh, The Houston Rockets. Yeah. Uh, I think the headliner was the Fred Van Vliet contract. And I've stated on this pod already, I'm high on... Fred Van Vliet in general, just for these young teams as a table setter veteran. I think he's not going to duplicate what he did last year, which is a career worst year. Um, He plays heavy, heavy minutes for a team that had no spacing and had a horrible half court offense. And honestly, you can't put that on him when you're watching Pascal and Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes do four spin moves and just cram themselves under the rim over and over and over again. It's really not Fred's fault as the only viable shooter on that team. And he really wasn't a viable shooter last year. But I'm more bullish on him becoming that guy again. But that number was staggering. Um, I texted you immediately coming from a Cavs perspective. Like to see him get paid like 13 million more dollars a year than Darius Garland was like jaw dropping to me. Um, What were your thoughts on just the number for him and like the signing to Houston? I am ill, violently ill watching these these signings. I could not have been higher on the Houston Rockets when the Amen Thompson draft happened. Yeah. Oh my God, I was so excited to watch Amen be the main facilitator setting up this team. I didn't think they were going to be a, a playoff team. I didn't think they were going to be a top six seed. I thought they were going to be a play-in team. Adding two more guys who really love taking goddamn shots and are not really, I mean, Fred can pass. Fred can really pass the ball. Yes, Man's can. out there to shoot. Um, Dylan Brooks getting paid $20 million to miss eight yeah. out of 10 shots to get a technical foul every other game and to be one of the least likable players in the NBA. Um, I think this was a move that went, well, fuck it. We got to pay somebody. Um, and it, there okay. was more, much more thought process to it than that. Dylan Brooks, there was zero people competing with him on the market for $20 million. You did not have to pay him that much money. Fred Van Fleet, you needed him on your team. And, and you so needed to pay him that too as well. Getting him that $43 million a year, that's how you guarantee you get your 5'11", sub 40% shooter on your team. Right. Um, I don't know, man. Is this a move that makes them better? I looked at the Houston Rockets and I said their biggest problem last year was they didn't have facilitators. They had too many guys that just want to shoot. And they brought in more guys that just want to shoot. But to be fair, Fred Van Vliet and Amen Thompson are both really good facilitators. So that if that issue has been addressed, it has been. So, But it's the too many shots. See, the thing about Amen that's perfect is he's not shooting very much because his jump shot is broken. So he'll score around the paint and that'll be good. But if you want shots, he's going to pass to everybody else. Fred thinks he can hit those shots. Um, and it, I guess if you look a couple of years in the past, he could. But I'm right. terrified given an, uh, an oldish 5'11 point guard who seems like he's on the decline. $43 right. million dollars over three years. 
Yeah, I think he'll do what he did in 21-22, where he's a 37-38% three-point shooter, rather than what he did last year at 34%. I'm bullish on him getting back to that percentage. That's what the Rockets are hoping for, too. It, exactly. That's why you pay him that money. Not You don't pay a guy 34 uh, as much money as they did to shoot 34% from three. Um, let's talk about the Dylan Brooks thing. You just mentioned it a little bit. I'll put my opinion on there. I'm actually of the mindset where I was supporting the signing two weeks ago, right? I was telling you, like, I like that fit in Houston. I think that, you know, to be a top five defender at your position matters in this league. You know, maybe Ime Udoka can serve him a piece of humble pie and get those shot attempts down. I was expecting mid-level exception, like $12.5 million to year, a year to $16 million a year. That yeah. was kind of the range I was expecting for him. When I saw the $20 million mark, it kind of turned my stomach on the idea of him on this team. Yeah. Um, again, like it's an only it's only an extra $4.5 million a year from what I was expecting, but still it just felt wrong to see a guy who embarrassed his franchise, his team, and his city last year in the postseason get rewarded for it just felt really strange to me especially when you mentioned who was the other suitor who was willing to pay him this dollar amount I don't know and another part of this that's underrated is this is a four-year deal with no team option no player option yes the, they have players on their team right now that are looking to get extended Jabari Smith will be up for an extension by that time Jalen Green will need to be paid Kevin Porter Jr.'s new contract will already have had ended by the time Dylan Brooks's contract runs out. Alperen Shengun, another guy. Like, I just thought the timing of the years and the dollar amount for a guy that is easily at the lowest point of his career seemed weird to me. Yeah. So the top three highest paid Rockets next season, Fred Van Fleet, 43 million, Dylan Brooks, 20 million, Kevin Porter Jr., 18 million. This is horrendous mismanagement of assets. Yeah. Um, nobody was offering Dylan Brooks four years, $80 million. Nobody else. Uh, nobody was probably offering him. I mean, you know, how many teams were even going to give him a four-year deal? All of it's crazy. 20 million a year is crazy. Four-year deal is crazy. You put it together. I don't know what they were thinking. Again, other than, you know, we got to get rid of this money or else we get punished. Um, they signed Jock Landale to a big deal. And like Jock Landale's not a guy who deserves that much money, but it's another situation where they were just going to overpay everybody. Yeah. Um, and I, two weeks ago, was so excited to watch this Rockets team. And I yeah. was about to do so much PR for this team. It was going to get obnoxious. Yeah. I don't think I'm watching. And I don't hate you for it. Uh, I definitely get it. Another thing we just need to talk about is Brooke Lopez, right? Uh, mm -hmm. For weeks, if not months, the Houston Rockets said, we need center depth. We need a different look at center. Um, you know, we like, we like Shengun, but we want different styles of play. Their guy was Brooke Lopez. They got a verbal commitment from Brooke Lopez to come on the team. And then Milwaukee skied over the top with an offer and Houston didn't match it. Mm -hmm. That is super disappointing to me. I think Brooke Lopez on the Houston Rockets being a floor spacer and a rim protector for a team that doesn't have a spacing big or a rim protecting big on the roster. I just thought it was the perfect move for them. And for them to miss out on that after publicly for weeks, if not months, said this is our guy we're gonna we're willing to overpay i i just i was super disappointed and i think if you're a raucous fan you feel icky about brooke going back to milwaukee and i think if you're a bucks fan you are very very thankful that milwaukee bucked up and paid him the money that some other team was going to is brooke lopez worth 24 million a year no but if you have to keep him absolutely it's worth losing him it's worth it over losing him for nothing um, yeah, but that's heartbreaking for Houston, man. That would have been a major difference maker. We talk about the lack of spacing, the inconsistent spacing that this team has. Brooke Lopez can shoot that goddamn three ball, man. You throw him and Fred Van Fleet out there. That's that's two, you know, spacers. Um, we got Jalen Green, who could have taken a massive leap. I had nothing but the world to say about Jalen Green coming up right. for next season. I put $5 down on him to win most improved player. The odds yeah. were plus 4,500, so I kind of yeah. had to. Um, man, I'm just sad where we're at right now. Right, and I think, you know, just looking at their overhaul, right, would you rather have paid Brooke Lopez $30 million a year 
for two years to get him to guarantee to come to Houston, pay Fred what you paid him, and then give Tory and Prince five million dollars a year instead of giving Dylan Brooks twenty. Yeah, absolutely. You do that every single time. You have championship identity in both of those guys in Brook and Fred Van Fleet, and you can find okay wing options on the market. If you're a Rockets fan, you feel a little sick to your stomach. I think yeah. the one thing you can maybe be happy about is Shengun's probably going to be your starting center for the first time. You know, does he show something that we haven't seen from him yet and really prove himself as a core guy? Maybe. But that's your season. That's what yeah. you're hyped about. Yeah. Rockets fans, you're losers. Good luck. Ime Udoka has his work cut out for him, man. We gave yeah. him so much credit for having one of the most talented rosters in the NBA and having a great defense come out of it. We'll see, man. Is he a defensive genius? Was he given a very, very, very talented roster? We'll see. Um, to bring it full circle, though, just to bring it full circle, I would much, much rather be an Orlando Magic fan watching yes. their offseason this year than a Houston Rockets fan watching their offseason this year. I don't think it has anything to do with the signings, though. I think it has to do with the young players because Orlando has young players that I actually believe in. Houston does not. Like, I I stay on the Houston's young players are overrated as fuck thing. I, I will forever be on that until they prove me absolutely wrong and they haven't done that yet. So I'm with you. I'd rather be a Magic fan than a Rockets fan. But, you know, I don't know. Both of them didn't have a good offseason in my eyes. No, but one of them didn't do nearly enough. One of them stayed far too conservative, and the other made big, big swings and absolutely shit their pants. I'm okay with you. I, actually, I totally get that thinking. I'm totally with you on that. That's that's yeah. fine with me. Um, another loser, quickly, before we get to another winner. This one I don't think people are talking about as much. Uh, I think this one's kind of gone under the radar. It's just like a loser. The Toronto Raptors, um, they let Fred Van Vliet walk out the door when they offered him a contract and you're shaking your head like, hey, maybe that's not such a bad thing. It is when you replace him with Dennis Schroeder. That's the that's where you fucking suck. Uh, Dennis Schroeder, he had a good uh, he had a good season last year. Let's just call it what it is. He had more left in the tank than we thought he did. Um, but Fred, one, grew up in the city. Two, is just a better player, better defender, better three-point shooter, better table setter. Um, so you just drastically cut your point guard talent basically in half and then you trade for Jakob Pertle last year to the San Antonio Spurs you trade a top six protected pick uh to get Jakob Pertle then you pay him 20 million dollars a year to stay with your team you do that if you think you're going to be a good team you don't do that if you think you're going to be a bad team they're going to be a bad team their spacing is atrocious. They signed Jalen McDaniels, another bad shooter, another complete hypothetical player who just has long arms and basically no offensive skill who fits right into the Toronto mantra of just do everything except play offense. I think Masai Ujiri is like bulldozing this team into the ground and he declined trades for Pascal Siakam and he declined trades for OG Ananobi at last year's deadline. What is he doing? Like, why? I think he's living off the Kawhi's trade in, like, perpetuity. Like, he's not even getting criticized for what he's doing right now. Can you kind of give me an idea of what the fuck he's doing? So, the thing about the Raptors before the Kawhi trade was they were always radio silent about their moves. They were always frustrating as hell to work with. If you've seen any reports about what it's like trading with the Raptors now, same deal. They're really frustrating to work with. They don't deal any players. They throw everybody on the trade market, but they don't actually move any players. They just kind of want to see what teams are willing to give for them. Um, they've kind of just been that team, even pre-Kawhi. Um, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know. You know, we did this last year before they had Jakob Pertl, where they went, we're starting five, six, nine guys. Yeah. And none of them really have, you know, point guard skill. None of them really have center skills. We're just going to throw Pascal Siakam at the five. He'll be fine. Right. Um, this is a team without a direction again. I expect Pascal Siakam to be moved. I'm surprised Gary Trent stayed around. Um, OG Ananobi, don't you get sick of having your name be thrown in trade talks year after year and to think like, damn, I could have gone to a contender, but instead I'm here on this 12 seed. Um, I think it's time this team blows it up, and I think they know it's time to blow it up. And for whatever reason, Masai Ujiri just drags his feet. 
Right. And in the new article I wrote that we'll put up on our website at some point, I said Masai Ujiri successfully has put the Raptors in the wizard zone, where you're good enough to not get any good draft picks, but you're also not good enough to ever make the play-in or playoffs. No man's land. He has successfully driven this team from, you know, kind of good to no man's land. If you're going to drop, drop as far as humanly possible. You know, we thought they were going to trade OG and Pascal at the trade day, trade deadline last year to try to get into the Wemby sweepstakes. They decided not to do that. And their reward is Grady Dick and Dennis Schroeder and having a player you developed in Fred Van Fleet walk out the door for nothing. Congrats. I think Grady Dick was actually a great selection. Like, I agree. They got very lucky that he fell to him at 13. You're usually not getting a player of that quality offensively at a 13th pick. Totally agree with you. But would you rather have Grady Dick at the 13th pick or Scoot Henderson, Brandon Miller, Wemben Yama? Oh, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Exactly. And they, yeah. they chose not to go that route. Mm -hmm. And instead, they traded for Jakob Pertl, which made them a better defensive team, which eventually pushed them out of those sweepstakes mismanagement up the ass there in Toronto and Scotty Barnes. Are we sure that dude's going to be like a really good player anymore? Are That's what sure? I was about to say. That's what I was about to lead into is from what I have seen discussed, there's possibility that Pascal Siakam's moved before the start of the season. Um, there's a couple of teams that are interested. I saw Atlanta is a team that's pretty interested. If they could do a swap DeJounte Murray for Pascal Siakam, Toronto gets a lot better. And you can maybe, I mean, they don't get a lot better immediately, but they have some sort of future. They have some sort of thing that they can be going forward. Um, Scotty Barnes is about to be put into the hot seat. It's about to be his chance, put up or shut up. You know, you didn't have the kind of sophomore jump that people were expecting. Now's the time for him to really prove himself as that point forward that we thought that he could be. Um, if Pascal Siakam stays on the team, this is just going to be mismanaged assets. But I think moving Pascal could lead to actually fun interesting Raptors basketball yeah and if they do that I'll probably have to amend my take here where I'm kind of scalding on Masai Ujiri on just being like just not smart with what he has on that team right now if he does that I'll be more positive on the mm -hmm. direction they're going but as of right now I think this is just one of the worst off seasons in the league which isn't being paid attention to um so I, I want to bring light to how bad they're doing I think it's important to talk about it when you're a small market team and you're good, nobody cares. When you're a small market team and you're bad, nobody cares. Nobody's looking at what the Raptors are doing. Yeah. And to kind of have a nice segue here, let's end this talking about your Cleveland Cavs. Yeah. Because talk about signings that go under the radar, man. Nobody watched this Cavs team in the regular season. And it frustrates me to death to hear the people who criticize these signings and who criticize the Cavs who clearly didn't watch a single regular season game from them last year. Right. Uh, I was blown away at the moves from Colby Altman this offseason. I think they're perfection. If I had to give the Cavs a grade, it would be an A. Like I, I don't think they did a single wrong thing. Let's go through it a little bit. Obviously, if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me complain about Isaac Okoro for hours on end. Uh, he is a defense first player. He's an undersized forward who can't shoot threes. And he was on the court at the same time as Evan Mobley, as much as I love him, can't shoot a lick. And Jared Allen can't shoot a lick. You had three players on the court at all times, basically, that could not shoot threes. Even Chetty Osman, he was in the 87th percentile of open three-point looks. Teams were leaving him wide open on purpose. They didn't think he could beat them, and they were right. This changes with the signings they made, and Max Struess, George Niang, and bringing back Karis LeVert, and we'll go through them one by one. Max Struess is a three-point shooter to the level where you need to pay attention to him at all times because he's running around screens. If you sag off of him, which they will do, Evan Mobley's going to find him, Jared Allen's going to find him, Garland and Mitchell are all competent passers. He's going to get a shot attempt if he's open. That is a thing you cannot live with if you're an opposing team. If you're giving him open looks all night long, he will make you pay. Um, and George Niang is the same exact way. I watched all 163 George Niang three-pointers this morning. That dude doesn't give a fuck if there's a contest, if he's wide open, if it's crunch time. He's shooting the ball and he's making it. And the Cavs just needed to be respected from the three-point line, and they fixed that issue in this offseason. Yeah, man, this breaks some things down for them. If you can stop putting so much pressure in the paint, 
Evan Mobley might be able to score some. Um, Jared Allen might be able to score some. If we pull out the third defender and we actually make him cover Max Struess, George Niang, actually respect those guys, it's just going to do so much more for the inside scoring. Donovan Mitchell needs a lane. He's a guy who does really well driving, but when you've got two seven-footers waiting for him and you've got that third defender sagging down helping, there's no lane. So I think the Max Struess and the Yang signings are picture perfect. I love it. I think you're correct. I think the only thing they could have done better is sign Grant Williams. And we saw, you know, it was a reasonable thing. Dallas didn't pay him a tremendous amount of money. It's the only thing they could have done that I think is better than what they already did. Do you have anything to say about the Ty Jerome edition? Really cheap, $4 million a year. I think it's a good flyer just because Raul Neto did fucking nothing for the Cavs last year. And Ricky Rubio, to just be completely frank, looks completely washed. He looked fucking horrible all last season. So I'm open to the idea of him being better than those guys. And he needs to be better than those guys because those guys were horrible. Um, so I'm I'm high on that. I think, you know, in, if we're just talking breaking down the lineup flexibility and the, the new looks that the Cavs will get, I'll try not to get too nerdy for people here, but... If Darian Garland and Evan Mobley are running a pick and roll and Evan Mobley catches at the elbow from a pass from Garland, instead of the third defender coming over from the corner and being able to double double Evan Mobley with no repercussions because Isaac Okoro is sitting in the corner, now Evan Mobley, who's an awesome big man passer, will be able to find Niang and Max Drews for open looks constantly. That is an NBA action that happens a hundred times a game. Instead of teams being able to completely disregard the player in the corner, they're going to have to sell out to stop a three-point look. I also think that makes Mobley's looks in the paint much easier. And I also expect Mobley's assist numbers to go up as well. Um, I, I just think this is a move to unlock Mobley. I think this is a move to unlock the Cavs offense in total. These signing, I don't have a bad thing to say about them. And I mentioned in my little article here, there's a chance that the Cavs have a run-and-gun lineup next year where they have Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, Max Struess, and either Karis LeVert or George Niang all on the court at the same time with Evan Mobley at center or Jared Allen at center, where they're just raining threes over and over and over again with a stout rim protector in the middle of it all. I think that's super exciting and a wrinkle they did not have last year. Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. I'm trying to think of... You know, if I'm going to be a little bit of a hater, if I'm going to say it's a little bit weird, um, the two things that I can point to are Max Struess is short, man, six, five, and you've got three kind of guards playing the one, two, three, and your one and two are already short. George Niang isn't really a three. He's a guy who plays the four. Um, And, you know, you can put him at the three if you want to put him in that Isaac Okoro role. But there's at least going to be some awkwardness, but it won't matter even a little bit because of the defensive strategy that they have. George Niang, if you're a little bit slow on the perimeter, that's okay. Mobley and Allen are waiting for your guy in the paint. Uh, Max Struess, you're a little bit short. That's okay. You know, we've got the system to cover you up. Um, even if there's some weirdness to their lineups, like even the the Niang-Mobley 4-5 lineup, that works really, really well. Um it doesn't seem like there's any flaws to these signings, man, even yeah, if I try. And those concerns that you have are going to be popular ones that we hear because Max Struess is an undersized player for his position, but we saw him have a whole postseason run of being a competent defender. So I, I'm not really concerned about it. In the highest pressure games, he was good at defending. So I feel comfortable with that. And Niang, yes, he's not a three. Yes, he has flows, uh, slow foot speed. But you're absolutely right. If you have a backline of Mobley and Allen, who fucking cares? Exactly. Who cares? And that's what I've been trying. I've been fighting on Cavs Twitter with people about this, where players are like, we need actual basketball players. We can't just get guys who only shoot threes. I completely disagree. I I, I wouldn't care if there was a guy on the team that couldn't even dribble. If he could sit in a corner and hit threes at 42%, fucking get him. Because that was the weakness of the Cleveland Cavs. They cannot shoot threes, and the double big lineup plus a Coro completely killed any chances Garland and Mitchell get open looks. And that is what happens, what I was saying before. Nobody watches this team. 
Um, if you listened, if you went on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, and you listened to Matt Spawnauer talk about what the Cavs did wrong, that's what I think a lot of casuals are getting their opinion of the Cavs are. Because he talked about the Cavs don't have players who can defend and shoot at the same time. Okay. Um, they don't have, you know, players who can do a lot of complex things. They have guys who all have specific roles. And mm. that is the shit I hear from everybody. Is just the same shit that the most popular NBA, you know, heads say right. about the Cavs. Um, but if you watch, you know, it, there is going to be some weirdness to the fact that every guy has their own very niche role, but yeah. it all works together very, very well. And Bill Simmons also criticized these simi- uh, signings, and so did Brian Russillo, saying they were too expensive. Who fucking cares? Who cares? I'm so confused by any hate towards these signings. You know, they had a glaring weakness, three-point shooting. They got it. They figured it out. Question over. Doesn't matter how much it costs. They're still under the tax. They figured it out. Like, I don't understand any criticism towards these moves. And a guy we didn't even get to talk about is Karis LeVert. I am a notorious Karis LeVert hater, right? When that trade was made, we came on this podcast and I ripped into him, super pissed about it. And for the whole first season he was here, I fucking hated it. Um, Last year, he really grew on me. He has proven to me that he's a guy that does what it takes to win. He was defending at a higher level than he ever had in his career last year. Obviously, he's going to be inefficient. He just is. That's who he is as a player. His mid, If he takes a mid-range shot, it's like literally if you're in the first round, run for cover because you're getting hit with a ball. Um, but he shot okay from three and he defended well. And in spot moments, he had explosion games, right? Where he would just all of a sudden have 41 against the Celtics or 30 against whoever. And just that level of variety is helpful for a team that can get in the bog offensively. For $16 million a year, I'm totally okay with it. Yeah. Karis LeVert's one of my least favorite archetypes of an NBA player. The guy who's brought onto your team to be a six scorer, but who is far, far less efficient than league average at scoring. Um, Karis LeVert last year, I mean, the bump to 39% from three, that'll do a lot to warm you up to a player. Going from 31% to 39, that's a big jump. Um, and you're bringing him back for such a reasonable deal. Losing him for nothing would have been tough. He tried his ass off in that first round loss. If you can, you can point to everybody on the team when you want to talk about what went wrong in that first round series, but you cannot point to him. Which is like an absolutely glowing review of a yeah. guy who I didn't think had the chops to do anything. Um, he was like, if not, maybe the best player on the cast. Most consistent. That. Yeah, most consistent for sure. Um, maybe even best because Donovan Mitchell disappeared. Darius Garland had an awesome game too. And then the rest, there was no spacing for him to do anything. Mobley, fearful of Mitchell Robinson. Allen had maybe the worst playoff performance I've ever seen. Um, and Karis LeVert was the one steadying force. And I think, I think that's really where we have to end here with the Cavs, right? Is They came off of a season where in the regular season, a lot of people were praising them, right? You saw Evan Mobley take a jump in the second half. He's a depoy finalist. You have Donovan Mitchell, second team All-NBA for the first time of his career. Darius Garland even got better, had a couple 50-point games, crazy three-point production. And then they just get fucking embarrassed in that first round to the point where you didn't even know what to think of your favorite players anymore. Like Mobley getting destroyed, Garland being super inconsistent, Donovan Mitchell sucking cock. Like it really was weird for Cavs fans. These moves show they're still confident in who they have going forward. They want to change this, the strategy and they feel like they've addressed the issue that plagued them in that first round. I'm so excited to watch it for one of the biggest reasons is because me and you, have talked to death about what the future of the Cavs looks like. Um, Because I think if they didn't address the three-point shooting, there were going to be some major concerns this year. I think Jared Allen was going to get shipped for pennies. And then I think we were going to have to start having a conversation about, can you have one seven-footer and two six-footers on the floor at the same time? Yeah. Um, This helps that, man. If that's a conversation we're going to have, it's going to be years down the future at this point. Because the three-point shooting that they just added clears so much of the ugliness that came from watching Cavs basketball, especially in the playoffs. Right. And I think, you know, we'll have to address the Jared Allen thing at a later time. I think I actually am in support of the Cavs giving them one more year as a unit. If Jared Allen repeats what he did in the playoffs, 
you'll never see him in a Cavs jersey again. And I'm totally okay with that. I'm not attached to him anymore after what happened in that first round playoff series. Like I'm mm-hmm. totally cool if he goes, I'm totally cool if he stays. Um, but th- these signings this off season has given them a flexibility with how to attack the league next year. And I'm just really excited for it. I think the Cavs are going to be really dangerous. And I think teams will probably underrate them considering how they performed in the first round of the playoffs. And I think another thing that we're going to have to look at that I'm really interested to hear from you and from Cavs fans just as a whole is the J.B. Bickerstaff review. Because we had nothing but negative things to say about his lack of creativity in that first round loss. And if you watch those players, man, he wasn't out there bricking every shot he took. Um, Bickerstaff was a part of that loss, but he wasn't the whole reason. It'll be really awesome to see now that you've got those weaknesses to plug up, how much better is his coaching? How much better does this this team look? What is the Bickerstaff review at the end of the year? And you're a thousand percent right. And I'm glad you brought that up quickly before we end here. You know, Bickerstaff can't control the roster. The roster was what it was. No shooting, right? Chetty Osmond, Isaac Okoro, Jared Allen, Evan Mobley playing significant minutes. There's no shooting. He can only do so much with creativity when the lane is clogged by three players when Donovan Mitchell's trying to score a layup, right? It's just, it's hard to adjust to that. Um, They let Kevin Love go. That was a GM move, right? You know, there are things that there wasn't so much in his control. Next postseason, though, that's when we get to see, is this the guy, right? Because Evan Mobley is in his third year. Garland. He's going to take a step. Mitchell's ready to win a championship. Jared Allen, can you figure that out? And can these guys be successful postseason players under JB as a head coach? You mentioned earlier in the episode, is Eric Spolstra the wizard behind Max Struess and Gabe Vincent? Are they even good NBA players or is this (laughs) Eric Spolstra, right? We'll get to see pretty quickly what that answer is. And George Niang, like he has some real deficiencies. He cannot slide his feet. Will he be able to use George Yang's shooting, which they desperately need, in a postseason series without letting him get picked on defensively? These are all things that we're going to have to wait and see for. But I think the regular season is going to give us a good idea of what we get to see in the postseason. Yeah, it is a massive put-up-or-shut-up year for Bickerstaff, for Jarrett Allen, I'll say for Evan Mobley as well. Um, Absolutely, you have to prove yourselves right now. And I think this is the best opportunity they all have collectively to do that. Last thing before we end on the Cavs, just because we always got to talk about Evan Mobley. Um, We've talked personally. I don't think Mobley will ever be a spacer. Do you think the addition of all these three-point shooting, what do you think that does for his spacing? Is there any hope that he'll he'll add that to his game? No, he's never going to be a three-point shooter. Okay. I, and I'm totally cool with saying that. Like, I he's my favorite player. I have his jerseys all over my room. Like, I fucking love this dude. I think he's incredible. I think he'll be a Hall of Famer. I don't ever see him shooting a three-point shot even close to, like, league average level. I think maybe 33% is something he could reach one day. And that might be really impactful for him. I don't know. Yeah. Why I bet on him is the passing, the defense, and the interior touch. That's why I like him so much. And the occasional mid-range. I'd like to see his free throw attempts go up this year as well. Um, End of the regular season, he was growing confidence in the mid-range. Absolutely. I'm with you. Mobley will probably never be a great three-point shooter. With the team he's got around him right now, he does not need to be. Exactly. That's the thing. He he has guys doing the spacing for him, right? Garland, Mitchell, Struess, Nyang. Those are his guys that are going to be taking shots. And he'll find them. That's I'm really expecting a big leap from Mobley. So I'm, I'm pumped for this team. Before we wrap up the free agency talk, I think we just have to do a little bit of Celtics talk. Yeah. It's not like a lot of moves happen, but there are some things we have to talk about. One of the biggest ones, Grant Williams, no longer on the team. Celtics brought in two second rounders. The additions to this team, O'Shea Brissett, Delano Bain, and the number 38 pick, Jordan Walsh. So this was a move that added, you know, the 11th and 12th and 13th man onto the team. These are not guys we're going to see a lot in the regular season. This team is what it is. I am very intrigued by Boston right now. Um, They have a million picks, a million from this offseason. And they haven't, they brought in Porzingis, who was expensive, but they just have a ton of picks. And they have Jalen Brown and Damian Lillard's requesting a trade. And we haven't talked about Dame on this podcast basically at all. And I'd almost kind of like to keep it that way. But it almost feels like the Celtics are gearing up for something 
And Brad Stevens is notorious for being silent about his moves. Yeah. As the Boston Celtics are currently constructed, though, I think they're better than they were last year. I really hate that Grant's gone. I don't know if I'm more attached to him than the majority of Celtics fans. I'm not sure. But, you know, Porzingis, that wrinkle that he adds to that team, I think is wildly intriguing. A seven foot two absolute dominant rim protector that can shoot from 35 feet away. Like, yeah, that seems like a nice wrinkle to have if you're Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to space and continue the spacing and the pacing of that team. And to just be quite honest, like Al Horford cannot score the basketball if it's not a catch and shoot three. Porzingis has some wiggle. Porzingis can put the ball on the floor and cram a dunk over Joel Embiid's head if he feels like it. He's a post-hub. He really is a post-up, not just scoring out of the post, which he was top five in points per game out of the post last year, but his ability to pass out of the post is huge too. If they're going to double him down low, he's going to find the open shooter pretty much reliably. Um, I do think the loss of Great Williams is killer. I think it's hard to confident. I mean, you can say where the Celtics are a better team, but that was a tough loss. Um, Thinking about just the backup wings, we really, the Celtics MO last year was not to put in a lot of backup wings. We had three guard lineups going. We had always had the double bigs. So now that Grant Williams is off the team and our best backup wings are Sam Hauser, O'Shea Brissett, and Jordan Walsh. Yeah. Are those guys getting any minutes? Is Sam Hauser getting a lot of run? Who knows? And what options are there to get better at the wing as well? Like, if they do want to trade all those picks and somehow find salary, like OG Ananobi, a ton of picks, and then you send out Malcolm Brogdon and Time Lord, like is that, you know. It's a lot of second rounders that they have. So you're not right. going and getting an OG Ananobi. You're going and getting like, you know, a really good seventh man. Like, can I have two second round picks for Jeff Green sort of thing? Like you're not going and getting a really big wing. You're going and getting like a plus role player. Yeah, so it's it's really interesting what they're doing. I, I think there's something to happen again i think the celtics will be in play for some player soon i don't know who it is but i feel like they're gonna pop up again in conversations um but yeah i think they're gonna be nasty i think they're really gonna be good um i think milwaukee got a little bit worse losing javon carter and i think the celtics got a little bit better by adding porzingis you know, I expect a one seed from the Celtics. I don't know if that's too much. Expecting maybe some injuries along the way for just a team with their big man rotations kind of injury uh, injury prone. But I think their blend of talent is so unique and going to be really hard to stop. I'm so interested to see what the three-point shooting looks like. Um, because there's a world where literally every single person on the Celtics shoots 36% from three or above. Um, If you're looking at the guys we have left, Jalen Brown's our worst three-point shooter out of the guys getting significant minutes who take threes. Rob Williams doesn't count, but he shot 34% from three. You go Tatum's 35, Horford 45, Derek White 38, Malcolm Brogdon 44, Grant Williams was at 40. We were just full of shooters, and Porzingis is another shooter. Um, The three-point shot, I mean, everybody complained about that style of offense. Get used to it. You know, they're going to be a team that is top three and three-point attempts again. But I do think an interesting wrinkle that Celtics fans can expect to see is just Porzingis pick and roll and Porzingis pick and pop. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, you have Tatum running pick and rolls and being able to find Porzingis on the roll, dunking on people or out for three when Tatum gets double teamed if he's having a hot night. I think that's going to be a consistent play you see from these guys. And Porzingis Um, as as a zone buster. Right. Especially if we have to play Miami again, throwing right. him in the mid-range over Al Horford. Yeah. Big, big addition. And Porzingis post-ups, right? Like the Celtics were this weird team where they didn't have any play that they could go to again and again last year. They were just shoot a three, but there was no significant action they could run over and over again. Right. I, I feel like that's changed with the moves they've brought in, right? With Porzingis just being who he is as a basketball player all right, he's in the post. Let's have people run around him for open shots. Sam right. Hauser, off-ball action, running around Porzingis screens and Porzingis post-ups. They're, they're a much more versatile team, and I think that's what plagued them. It's up to Missoula with his creativity and his new coaching staff. Can they figure out how to use those guys? Right. That's, that's the, Celtics, 
the Celtics had two go-to plays down the stretch. It was a Jason Tatum ISO or a Jalen Brown ISO. We didn't have an efficient play down the stretch. <laughs> um, but they tried that shit a lot. Yeah. Now, with Porzingis as a post-hub, that is an efficient, reliable, this will get us a bucket most times. Right. Um, and that is something, you're right, the Celtics just have not had. And with the post game kind of evaporating from the NBA, I think it's good for the Celtics to bring that back into their lineup because yeah. the mid-range was just basically eliminated from the Celtics offense entirely. Porzingis is going to force that to come back while he's on the court. Yes. Again, I, I couldn't be higher on what the Celtics did this offseason. I think, you know, organizationally, they're as sound as any team in the league. Yes. And the uh, extension for Porzingis. Was it yes. $62 million over two years? Five million more than Kuzma a year. I give me that all day. It was two years, 60 million. He took a $17 million pay cut to be able to stay with the Celtics. You know, how they convinced him to do that was incredible, but it gives Porzingis a chance to win. And it gives the Celtics, like I've been saying over and over again, a really interesting wrinkle. Expect massive things from the Celtics next year. I'm really, really high on them. Yeah, man, me too. Um, I think that'll do it for me, though, in terms of winners and losers of free agency. JP, before we wrap it up, you got anything to say? One quick one. The Thunder didn't do anything either. I mm-hmm. felt similarly with the Orlando Magic as I did the Thunder. I wish they kind of really put their chips to the middle of the table and said, hey, you know, we got Chet, we got SGA, we got uh, Jalen Williams, and we have Giddy. Like, we're a really fucking good team. Let's spend some money on our bench and be a playoff team. They chose not to do that. Would have liked to see it, but that's that's kind of all I got left. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. They are still a team that's a year away from being a year away. Um, we will see when when will they ever put all their assets together? Who knows? Um, they did it a little bit to get Case and Wallace, and I thought that was great, but they still have so many moves to make. I agree. Being conservative, if you're the Thunder, wasn't the best move. I would like to see them add some good role players. They're a team I'm looking for for Pascal Siakam. Uh, Just as like a call out. I said that last trade deadline. I thought that was the perfect fit. I'd still love to see him on the Thunder. Uh, Keep an eye out for that move, folks. Yeah. All right. So that'll do it. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Peace out. Peace.